Let's bow our heads together for a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we just come to you tonight and thank you, Lord, for the gospel of Jesus Christ. My goodness, Lord, we live in a very, very broken, broken world. And we thank you, Heavenly Father, for the incredible hope of the message of life in Jesus Christ. That you reach down in this broken, degraded humanity and you gave your son for our lives. Father, I just thank you for the team and their efforts in the Dominican Republic. There are literally, Lord, billions of people, billions of people living on less than a dollar a day around our world. And the vast majority of these people do not know Jesus Christ. And here on our own city, Lord, there are millions of people who do not know Jesus Christ. And they're lost and they don't even know it. And Father, we just ask you tonight, even as we look into the book of Colossians, as we see the very gospel of Jesus Christ laid out in Colossians, we pray, Father, that you would give us just a heart and a passion for the good news of our Savior. Help us to grasp it. Help us to understand its impact on our own life. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> so I have a very short message tonight. You don't think I'm capable of that, but I am. <laughs> Our Christmas message was 10 minutes long, if I'm not mistaken. You can go and look that up. <clears throat> but I wanted to make sure they had an opportunity to share because we were praying for their time down there. I have been to country. I have very good friends that I've stayed with in Honduras when I've been down there 20 times, and they were on the team that originally helped plant <clears throat> the little church in Dominican Republic. Their name is Jesus and Mariana Diaz, and Thomas Limas, who our team met and was down there. They were there many, many, many years ago. The poverty of these Central American countries would blow your mind. It would just blow your mind. It's hard to grasp. <clears throat> when I'd be in San Pedro Sula and we'd be driving to where the meetings were, you'd, you know how we have our roundabout. So they have a roundabout, but it's very different. And you're in this jam-packed traffic and you're going very slow. And while you're there going very sore stop, hundreds of little kids will come knocking on your window, begging for money. They'll be pushing another little kid in a wheelchair. It's uh, a sight that you have probably never seen anything like it. And it's mind-blowing. It's mind-blowing that human beings can abandon their children. And as Carl was talking about fatherlessness, we see that in our own nation. And folks, I want to tell you, this, this is why the scripture is so important. The gospel is so important. It is only the gospel that can change the dark, wicked nature of mankind's heart. It's only the gospel of Jesus Christ. There is no hope in this world apart from the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we're going to pick this up in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 13. And Paul is writing, For Christ has rescued us from the one who rules in the kingdom of darkness. And he has brought us into the kingdom of his dear son. God has purchased our freedom with his blood and has forgiven all of our sins. And I want to just comment on that. I told you this a few weeks ago, but I want us to remember again, there are only two kingdoms in the world, in the universe. 
there are nations, there are different tribes, there are different people, but there are only two kingdoms. And one is ruled by Lucifer, Satan, as he more commonly known. And he is the prince of darkness. And anyone who does not know Jesus Christ, no matter what race, they are part of his kingdom. Most don't know it, but that's the reality. And Christ rescues us from the kingdom of eternal doom and darkness. It's very much like the allegoric story that you see, Lord of the Rings. We were all orcs. And we were all ruled by Saruman in Mordor. And it's dark, and it's wicked, and it's evil, and it's savage, and it's barbaric. It's barbaric. I don't know if you've ever stopped to ponder how barbaric our world really is. We don't have many children in here tonight that will even understand me, but I'm telling you, we live in a sick world. In Afghanistan, it is incredibly common. Our soldiers, what they were confronted with when they went to Afghanistan, and the little boys that are used for sex by the Taliban, by men, do you realize that that there is a a very famous, decorated, he was either a Navy SEAL or Special Forces, that was kicked out of the Army because he protected a little boy by one of the Taliban commanders who was raping him? And he walked in on him and shoved him off the little boy. And our military kicked him out. Do you realize that on any given day, 3,000 little children are slaughtered in the womb in this nation every day? We are a wicked and despicable race. All around the world. All around the world. And we get so high and mighty and so pompous of how civilized we are. We are godless. We are godless. This nation is so godless. But the world we live in is godless. You have to understand the reality of our godlessness to understand the phenomenal blessing of being rescued from the toilet. And God rescued us. He rescued us. Think about your own human heart. Man, we don't really have to go much farther. If we would just be honest about what goes on in our own human heart. The selfishness, the evil, the hate, the prejudice, the malice, the immoral thoughts, the greed. It's there. It's there. And it's destroying lives. It's destroying lives. Christ came into this world, and it <clears throat> I just regularly blows my mind that God would create us. He gave us this incredible place to live. He gives us our body for free, our brains for free, our eyes for free, our ears for free. He blesses us with a planet, pre-stocked, as I've told you before, with all the natural resources we have needed to sustain us since God created us. It's all there. We extract it from the ground one way or the other. And once it's out of the ground, then we make things from it. And we rebel against God. We rebel against God. And as you know, if you know your history, God already destroyed man once in the flood. 
as a warning to what he would do again. But I, I, I just regularly am amazed that God just, why did he start over? He knew what was coming. He knew I was going to be born. He knew the rebellion in my heart. Why did he give us a chance? Why did he send his son after he, after he brings the world into being and we all turn against him and then he gives his son? Because he loves you. God loves the world. And I'm telling you, it's a love I don't understand. I don't understand it. I understand my love for my little granddaughter. I understand it. She's so precious. She's so beautiful. She's so delightful. I understand the love for my own grandchildren. I understood it for my own children. I do not understand God's love for this despicable, sick world. I don't understand it. I don't understand why he lets it continue. I don't understand why he doesn't just wipe us out. For God so loved the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his son. I, I could not part with Charlie for this world. I would not. I could not part with Fisher or Quinlan or Raleigh or Natalie or Elsa or Wyatt or Wilder. How could God do this? Because he's a God that, that, that de defies our full grasp. He's infinitely beyond what we can understand. But he loves you. And he loves little Nikolai on the bench. And he loves Bearson. And he loves the father that abandoned those two other little boys. He loves them. And he wants them to understand the gospel. He wants them to understand they need him. Or we spend forever in the kingdom of doom. God rescued you. He rescued you and he purchased our freedom with his blood. With his blood. One money, you know, one Jesus walking up to the counter saying, here, I'm going to pay for Mark. It was his blood. And all of our sins <clears throat> are forgiven. It says in a few more verses we're going to look at that not only we're forgiven, <clears throat> but we bought into the presence of God, brought into him, blameless, holy, and without a single fault in the eyes of God. I know myself pretty well. God knows me better, but I know myself pretty well. And I'm telling you, it was the most remarkable thing in my life when I really began to understand as a young Christian, when I really began to believe I am faultless in the eyes of God because of Christ. Not because of me, but because of Christ. I'm faultless. Changed the way I began to think about myself. It changed the way that I went about my life. <clears throat> but you and I are holy and blameless as we stand before him without a single fault. Now we move on to chapter 1 in verse 15. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before God made anything at all. And he is supreme over all creation. He is supreme. What does that mean? I want to talk tonight about what that means. Christ is the ultimate authority. Christ is over all things. 
He's the one through whom God created everything in heaven and earth. Christ made heaven and earth. I'm sorry if you're an evolutionist here tonight. I'm sorry if you bought the lie and you're a believer and you still hold on to the lie. Christ spoke the world into being. He made it. And he made it in six days. Six 24-hour days. And on the seventh, he rested. For anything is anything too hard for God. He spoke to the lame, they walked. He spoke to the blind, they saw. He spoke to Lazarus, raised him from the dead. He spoke to the wind and the waves, and instantly they were calm. He commands nature. He is supreme over everything. Now, now, here's what's interesting. God has made a choice with you and I. I want to explain this because it's very important. When God speaks to the wind and the waves and the rocks and the stones, they obey. They have no choice. That's not true with you and I. I cannot explain to you why. I can, I can hypothesize. I can do my best to articulate my understanding. But I do not know why God gave us a choice. Gave us a choice. And we can either reject him or embrace him. And even after we embrace him, he still allows us the choice to choose to submit to him or not to submit to him. But he is supreme. He is supreme. And here's what God desires. God desires that you and I, let me just read this for a moment and then I'll comment on it, okay? Christ made all things. He made the things we can see and the things we can't. Kings, kingdoms, rulers, authorities. Everything has been created through him and for him. He existed before everything else began and he holds all creation together. Christ is the head of the church, which is his body. He is the first of all who raised from the dead, so he's first in everything. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ, and by him reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of his blood on the cross. This includes you who were once so far away from God. You were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Yet now he's brought you back as his friends He's done this through his death on the cross in his own human body. As a result, he's brought you into his very presence. And you are holy, blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. But you must continue to believe this truth and stand firmly in it. Don't drift away. Doesn't mean you'll lose your salvation, but your life will crash and burn. You and I must grasp what God did for us. But then this is, this is the key factor. This is what will alter the course of your life. Nick was talking about it. Nick and I have a unique relationship. And I'm going to share a little bit about Nick's story since he brought it up. He started coming. This was, I don't know, a year ago, two years ago. And he was doing really well. And then I just noticed I didn't see him. I noticed it for several months actually so I wrote I just reached out through an email I happened to have his email I said hey Nick I miss you how you doing he wrote me back I won't get into the details don't worry Nick but he I'll give you the framework and he wrote back basically and said you know what Pastor Mark you're always straight up with us so I'm going to be straight up with you 
I'm doing blah, 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 and he was doing blah, blah, blah. He was really messing up his life. So, you know, my desire was to see him really grow in Jesus Christ. My desire was, I'll tell you in just a moment, what ultimately I was hoping he would do. So I wrote him, I said, you know, Nick, I understand as a young man why you might be doing those things, but I want to tell you the trajectory of your life, it'll ruin your life. This is what will end up happening. I want to ask you as a favor to me. I'm going to send you three links to three messages. Please listen to them, and then let's talk. It was a risk. I didn't know if he'd ever write back. I didn't know if I'd ever hear from him, but I knew the trajectory of his life he was going, it was going to ruin it anyway. So I thought I'd better just go for broke. So he listened. He wrote me back something to the effect of, oh, my gosh, wow, wake-up call. So we began to talk a little more. But here, here's where I was trying to get Nick. And this is where God wants to bring every single one of us. This is the secret. Once we come to Christ, once we come to Christ, there's only one path to the abundant life of God. That is, I live my life under the authority of God's word. I live in submission to what it tells me. And I submit to God's truth in all matters. And I do not live under the authority of my feelings, my emotions, and my selfish wants and desires. That's it. And you miss that, you miss everything. You miss everything. Brother and sister, I've told you this before. I'm going to tell you this again. This book, this book is the written word of God. This book is as authoritative in our life as God himself. And the only path to joy and peace and meaning in your life and walking with God is living under the authority of what it says. And yet, seven out of ten Christians in America own a Bible and never read it. That's called rebellion. That's called open rebellion to the king who brought you into his kingdom. This book must become your life. This book, what it has to say about morality, sexuality, priorities, values, eternity, relationships. I know so many people struggle in their marriage. We all struggle. We all struggle. I've struggled. I've been married 37 years. But the answer is I go to the book... And I submit my life to what God tells me as to how I ought to treat that woman that I vowed my life to, no matter what my emotions tell me, no matter what I feel like doing. And as I've done it over and over, we're going to get to Colossians 3 eventually, where Paul says, and so as those who have been chosen of God, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, tenderness, tender-hearted mercy. And forgive one another in case you have a grievance against another. Make allowance for one another's faults because of your love. Imagine in marriage if that's what you were to do and clothe yourself with every day. But we get frustrated, don't we? And they hurt my feelings, and they aren't looking out for me, and, and we, we start to see all the flaws. When Paul, the same writer, writes in Philippians, finally, whatever's good and lovely and praiseworthy, put your mind on these things. And yet, what, we, what, what can we do? We spend hours a day slandering our mate in our own mind. The word slander means to 
tear down the character of another person. And we just allow the devil to get in there time and time again and destroy their reputation in our own eyes because we let things bother us. Uh, that doesn't mean that we can't talk. The Bible also tells us in Proverbs that a wise man loves to listen to advice. That a wise man is open to criticism. So I'm not saying we don't have conversations that are honest with the mate that we love. But we're going to have to let God work in their life. We can't go to the mat every single day fighting tooth and nail. We have to learn to live under the submission of the authority of God's word. And this, I'm just telling you, this is what breaks my heart most about Christians. If I could wave a magic wand as a pastor, if anything I could change, it's saints, listen to me, live in submission to the book. Live a submissive life. If you do not yield to God, I'll close with this verse. I grew up in a Christian home. I actually came to know Christ when I was young. But I made some very bad choices in my life to turn against Christ. They were very deliberate. I knew exactly what I was doing when I did them. And when I finally gave my life, really gave my life to Christ, I was 19. It was 40 and a half years ago. And the life verse that God gave me, the life verse, is found in the book of Job. And it says this, yield now. Yield now. And be at peace with him and thereby good will come to you. And I, I deal with so many Christians just being honest with you, that are so unyielded in their heart. Yield. Submit to God and submit to his word and submit to his commands and submit to his principles and submit to his truth. Submit. Yield. And good will come to you. If you don't, he'll break you. You'll break yourself. And the Bible says in the book of Proverbs that after so much resistance, you'll be broken beyond remedy. It just shatter your life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, your word, your word is our life. Moses said, we do not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Oh God, how I pray. How I pray, God, that you would work in my heart and you'd work in our hearts and that you'd give us hearts that would submit to the word of God and that we'd, we'd even schedule you in our day. We can be more devoted to our phone than we are to the word of God. More devoted to the text that we get from all of our friends than to the text of the living God called the Bible. Please help us, Lord. Please help us. Oh, God, thank you. Thank you for putting us in your eternal kingdom. Thank you, Lord, for this, for Gabe's story tonight. Really touched me. Really touched me. I remember Mary and Kevin and Dawn. I remember how you worked in their life and see their little boy wanting to follow you. It just moved me tremendously. Thank you for his life. Watch over his life. Watch over all the hundred, some 150 kids here at The Rock. 
Protect them from the corruption of this world. In Jesus' name.